David Spada is a successful attorney whose dream was to become a sports talk show host. Elliot Harris is a Chicago sports columnist who wanted to expand his media presence. In the next hour, they combine their talents and love of sports and women by interviewing former professional athletes and lovely ladies on sports and torts. But keeping the boys out of trouble isn't always easy because when David and Elliot are together, they have more fun than should be legal. Welcome to another edition of Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com with David Spada and Elliot Harris. At last look, I'm Elliot Harris. That means you're David Spada, if I remember correctly. You still have your marbles. Yeah, they're, or your wits, or whatever they uh, call it. I, I didn't have much of either, but this is the best we can do on short notice. Who are we having today? Ricky Running Waters. The cup runneth over. Former Notre Dame standout NFL star, Ricky Waters. I see that you grew up in Pennsylvania. How did you end up going to Notre Dame? How did Penn State lose out on you? Yeah, that was a tough decision, but uh, I went to Catholic school my whole life. I uh, I went to Our Lady of the Blessed Sacrament, which we were pretty much a, a small Notre Dame. We had the same uniforms and everything. And in high school, I went to Bishop McDevitt, which was pretty much a smaller Notre Dame as well. Uh, we patterned everything after them. And uh, my parents started out, you know, I could have went anywhere in the country, so they started out like, you know, hey, we know we raised you right. We know you're going to make the right decision. And then it turns into, we're not going to let you make the wrong decision. You have a chance to go to Notre Dame. That's where you're going to school. So I don't think I had a choice. <laughs> what, was there any other school that tempted you? Oh, there was there was plenty of schools. Uh, I mean, and they love Joe Paterno. They, they have respect for him. I, I, I had Michigan, Tennessee, Florida, UCLA. Those were my other uh, visits. And I had uh, various other visits, unofficial visits that I went to as well. So there were other teams, and they were all appealing. Obviously, I couldn't lose out going to any of those programs. But Notre Dame just was one of those schools that my parents really felt strongly about. And when I took my visit there, I felt like it was a right, the right place for me to go. And uh Obviously, I didn't make the wrong decision because we won a national championship. Some of those guys are my best friends to this day. Rocket Ishmael. I mean, if I go to Dallas, if I go to Texas, I'm staying with Rocket. If he comes my way, which is now out here in the West Coast in the Bay Area, but back back a while ago was in Orlando, he would come stay with me, and that's just how we do it. If I go to Chicago, I'm staying with Pat Terrell. We're we're close to this. To this day, Tony Rice, these are some of my best friends to this day. Was it hard when you joined Notre Dame getting used to the academic requirements there? Uh, not really because, uh, our, our schools, the schools that I was brought up in, they were, they were that way. So everything was kind of like that. I grew up with the nuns, man. And back then, they would they would give it to you. They would paddle you. They would smack you in the hands. They had those pointers. Or they would stick you with it. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. So I kind of grew up with that kind of discipline uh, academically. So I I understood it, and I, I knew what I had to do going in. And I've always been a, a good student, so that, that wasn't a, a tough uh, thing for me. Actually, it was tougher once I went from high school and, like, blowing the doors off for everybody and people having trying to chase me. And once I got in the open field, just, like, there's no one there. So now 
breaking in the open and there are people I still had company. And I'm like, wait, well, hold on, how'd you get down this, down the field so quickly? Because the speed was there and we had so many great athletes, so I had to get adjusted to that. But once I adjusted to that and realized that these other guys are fast too, these other guys are great athletes, they were all great on their teams, uh, their high schools as well, uh, that I was able to take take full advantage of going to a school like that and playing as well as I did. I went to Catholic grade schools and high schools, and I think the nuns were tougher than the priests. <laughs> much tougher. I mean, they were just much tougher. And they didn't play around. I was telling people some of the things. I tell my son, I have two 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 boys, and one is uh, 13 and the other one's 7. And I tell them some of the things we had to do, and I said, could you just imagine even sticking your nose in that corner? Stick your nose in that corner, put the uh, chewing gum on your nose, and have the, the, nose, the chewing gum touch the wall and touch your nose, and you cannot move out of that while everyone else is having recess and having fun. Try that one for a little bit. And that's, that was one of the – that wasn't so bad, put it that way, compared to some of the other things that we that they had us do. <laughs> Did Coach Holtz recruit you personally? Yes, he did. Uh, and my, my parents were very uh, pleased with him. They, they were just taken by him. I mean, he's a great speaker. He taught me a lot of things. When I do public speaking now and motivational speaking, I do things that he taught us. But he's just so amazing in person when you talk to him and the, the magic tricks he does and the jokes that he tells. And he's so witty and his mind is so sharp. They were just totally taken by him, and he came more than one time. He came to watch me play. He came to watch me. Uh, I ran. A, I was on the track meet. He came to see me then. He came on, on different occasions. So they really wanted me, and they really thought that I was a Notre Dame guy because, obviously, you have to be a student athlete. You have to be have the, the total package, and they felt like I did. So he definitely was a big part of, of the recruiting and he himself did a lot of the recruiting. What I never got was in the 88 season, why he put you a wide receiver. I mean, was it he thought you could be the next Tim Brown or what was going on there? That's what it, that's what it was. Uh, I don't think he understood how much I loved running back position. I grew up loving running backs. I love football, period, and I would always watch it. I was definitely a student of the game, but I always watched the running back position. That's the position I fell in love with. I wanted to be like Tony Dorsett. I wanted to be like Walter Payton. I wanted to be like Marcus Allen and all these guys. I didn't want to play wide receiver. <laughs> it's just not something that I wanted to do, and it was something that I made – made sure people understood too because I was one of those players that played so many different positions in high school because I had to because we didn't have that many players uh, like other schools have so I had to play a lot of different positions so I could do a lot of things and a lot of teams just wanted me for either safety or wide receiver quarterback uh, Oklahoma and Nebraska wanted me for quarterback but I made it known that I definitely wanted to play running back and I made that known to him as well but I think that once Tim Brown won the Heisman, and then he left. He thought that maybe that would entice me to say, you know, for the betterment of the team, let's do this. And that's actually what I did. I did it for the better of the team, what I thought would help us win. But I, I never really loved the position. I didn't have a love that I have for running back. And I think it showed once I went back to running back in college and then on to the pros to play running back. Were you always number 32? I was actually number 12. 
<laughs> and I was number 12. And I started out with 44, actually. Uh, that was that was my thing. Chuck Foreman, you know, guys back in the day. That 44 was like the the big horse number. And and then I was playing uh, quarterback, so I was number 12. And even though I transferred from quarterback to running back, I still had that number in high school. And so every every college that I went to, they had that on my jersey. And I liked the way it looked. So I was like, oh, yeah, I still have 12. I want 12. And then when I got to the pros, I was like, man, I want 12. And they were like, sorry, you can't have 12 as a running back. You have to have a 20 number or a 30 number. So they said, you know, you can't have 12. And 32 was that was an easy one for me. I mean, you talking about O.J. Simpson, you talking about Jim Brown, talk about Marcus Allen. So I was like, if I can't have 12, then I would love to have 32. That 88 season, how hard was it when he suspended you, Coach Holtz, for that USC game? Well, that was one of the hardest things I've ever had to deal with in my life because I love playing. Number one, and uh, I didn't didn't particularly think it was fair. You know, I, I know I was late. We were we were all late. It was more than just just the two of us that was late, but we were the oldest ones. But we were sophomores. It was like we were seniors. We we're sophomores. Our first time in California. We really in, enjoyed being out there and having. The, the sun and everything that, that goes with it. And we actually got lost. It was, it was an honest mistake. We didn't mean to do it. We weren't trying to be malicious. We weren't out doing something that we shouldn't do. Uh, we didn't, it wasn't like we got in trouble. We were just a little late, but I can tell you one thing. It taught me never to be late again. I can tell you that much because I have not been late since. And in the pros, I made sure I was on time all the time and even early. So it, it did teach me a lesson, and I did learn from it. And that's the way I look at it, and that's what I tell young people now. Now, just if you make a mistake or something happens like that, you can't live in the past. You just learn from it, and you have to move on. As a freshman, was it difficult not being the starter? Uh, when, when was that? When I was a freshman at, at Notre Dame. When uh, oh when yeah, when I first got there. Yeah, man. Yeah, when I first got there as a freshman, you know, I, I thought I could, but I also understood that it was a lot I had to learn. So I was fine with that that part of it. I obviously knew talented wise, talent wise, I could play, but there was things I had to learn. I had to get. Uh, some maturity, and I think I did that. And when it was time for me to play, I, I think I did my job. So that's all that matters, you know, that, that you do your job and you get your chances. And I made it to the pros, which is what we all strive to do and all hope to be able to do. I mean, that, that year you won the championship, you beat the number one team in Miami, the number two team in USC, number three team in West Virginia, and the number nine team in Michigan. I mean, I don't think I ever saw a tougher schedule than that. Yeah, and that was every year for us. And every year we were right in the running because even the year after that, I felt like we won a championship, but they didn't give it to us because we beat uh, – then it was Colorado. When we beat Colorado in the Orange Bowl, and they didn't they didn't give it to us because we had the one loss to Miami, and Miami had one loss, so they beat us head-to-head, so they gave them the national championship. I thought that year we were just as good as the year before. We just flipped up against Miami and we played them there as opposed to our place, and they were a great team as well. So, But uh, we we always came ready to play, and I, we had great players. 
that really believed in each other. We were a really close-knit bunch. And then also we had great coaches that prepared us for each game and had us ready for whoever we played. And we knew our game plan, we understood it, and we understood how we could win the game. And we went out there and we played just great. And, I mean, we had a great quarterback in Tony Rice who was just like every game played out of this world, I believe. So, I mean, it was just incredible feeling to play with those guys, to have so many great players that we were playing with. And you didn't really know how great they were until everyone went to the pros. Pretty much everyone had a chance to go to the pros except for Tony Rice, which was we didn't understand. But, I mean, I guess that's how it goes. Yeah, I don't understand that either. You know, a, a guy that's good not to be able to play at the next level. Yeah, he was a quarterback, he was a quarterback or elsewhere. Either. Yeah. Yeah, and he was an amazing leader for us, too. His leadership was, was just as important as his ability. And he had some great athletic ability. I mean, we used to play basketball, and we would just put on a show, a slam dunk contest and everything every time we played. So, just like I said, a great guy and still my friend to this day. What was your... And, uh, I wish he had a chance to, to, to have that kind of success in, in the pro level, too. What was your biggest game in college? Uh, the biggest game I would have to say was the national championship game, and because I mean that's what you that's what you play for. That's what it's all about, and that's what you want to do is to, to play uh, a national championship game. They're undefeated. We were under West Virginia at the time. They were undefeated. We were undefeated. So it was just great to be able to to play that game. Was Coach Holtz more a motivator or a tactician or a combination? I think he was he was everything. <laughs> he really he really was on on the college level. I mean, I don't know on the pro level. Uh, I guess there were some questions, but on the on the college level, he prepared us as best anyone could prepare you in in all facets. Like I said, we we knew what we were doing. He could motivate you to run through a brick wall. I mean that he he knew exactly what to say at the right time to get you so pumped up and make us feel like we're going to win that game no matter who we're playing and that we're totally prepared. There's not one more thing that we could do to get ready for the game. I, I just think he, he he did a great job with that. Just like he's such a motivational speaker now, that's how he was in the locker room, and it was a pleasure being able to hear that for four years. Then it had to be a dream come true to find out they were going to San Francisco 49ers because they were the team of the 80s. Oh, man, couldn't believe it. You know, I, I thought I was going the first round. Everyone, there was a lot of teams that said they're going to pick me if I – if I was still there on the board in the first round, and I can remember thinking, God, I can't believe I'm not getting picked. But then the second round comes around, and I get picked by the 49ers, and I'm like, you know what? It's not all that bad because we just the 49ers, and I was really excited about playing for that team. And then the fact that the next day after getting drafted by them, I'm there. And Joe Montana comes up to me and is like, what's up, Domer? And like, yo, you want to go? I, I couldn't even believe he was talking to me. I thought, no, he's talking past me. And I'm like, Say, oh, he's talking to me. And he's like, I'm not talking to you, Rook. You know, get him off the or something. Or sit down or something. But he totally was talking to me. And he said, man, you want to go out and hang out for a little bit? Or you got something to do? And, of course, I was like, man, if I had something to do, I don't have anything to do anymore. Are you kidding me? Joe Montana, man, one of my heroes and, and a, just one of the greatest to – 
to ever watch play. And the fact he was so cool, he welcomed me so in such a great manner. He made me feel like I was part of the team from day one. It was just outstanding to be on that team, to learn from the guys that I learned from. You know, I got hurt my first year, and, God, I, at the time I thought it was just the worst thing that could ever happen. But it ended up being a blessing in, in disguise because I was had the chance to sit back, to learn from some of the greatest players ever, and to learn what it's like to be a professional, a true professional. I remember when I said to myself, and the first time I trained with those guys, I was training with Jerry Rice, Ronnie Lott, Roger Craig, all these guys were, were there uh, before they went on the, the Plan B, uh, Roger Craig did and uh, Ronnie Lott, but they were still in the area and we were still training. And and so we were training, we were running this hill, and I was thinking, how bad can it be, man? I trained with the best, you know, I the Heisman Trophy winner. I was training with him, Tim Brown, so you can't tell me anything. Until I got on that hill, man, and they had me throwing up and everything. <laughs> I mean, everything I ate that morning was all up in my throat. I just couldn't even believe it that I had to go to a whole nother level. But I learned from them, and I got better, and I got smarter, and even more so, I learned the game to understand where all the blitzes were coming from, where all my blocks are coming from. Uh, there was nothing on the field that I had to second-guess myself for. By the time I started playing, I was totally ready to play. I had guys like Tom Rathman, who's their, the running back coach now for a reason, because he totally masters the, the he mastered that system, and he's also a guy who's a total student of the game and taught me how to even more so, because I already knew how to look at film, or at least I thought I did. But they taught me what I'm really looking at when I'm looking at the film and how to really lift weights and how to really take care of yourself and eat right. And all those things, I think, helped me have that longevity that I had in the league. What was it like playing for Bill Walsh? Man, well, he wasn't the coach at the time. It was George Seifert, but he was there, and he was still – and it was his system. You knew that. And you knew that he's the guru behind this whole thing. And it was just amazing. It was amazing playing for him. It was amazing playing for that coaching staff. And I, it was kind of funny to me because I had at Notre Dame seen the Bartolo on some of the buildings. But I didn't know what that really meant until I was drafted by the 49ers. And then I see it means excellence in everything you do. Everything we did, we did full speed. Even in the pre-practice, when we go out there, we're running hard. We're going, you better spat up. You better tape up right and get ready because we're going. And we go in the, in, the, in the locker room, and you go in that weight room, you go in there ready to lift some weights. You're not just going to go in there and talk and hang out and just have a good time. You're going to have a good time, but you're going to have a good time doing your work. And the same thing in the meeting rooms, everything, we did it in a classy way, and we did it like champions, and that's why we became the champions that we became. I'm looking at your stats here in the postseason. It seems like you got even better than you were in the regular season. You have five touchdowns in a postseason game. You got three touchdowns in a Super Bowl. How did you do it? <laughs> it I, I just felt good. I felt good. I was ready. Every game I was ready. And even the the playoffs, it was like you knew it. You knew it by this the way everyone else was. I thought they couldn't get any higher during the during the year, especially that Super Bowl year. I mean, we went like months 
it was crazy. Like almost like the whole half of the year without the ball touching the ground, no fumbles, snaps, no uh, missed handoffs or missed cues like that. Everything was so on point because we were focused on it like that. And you didn't want to be the guy to drop the ball, or you didn't want to be the guy to make the missed assignment or the the, the mental error. So you you prepared that much more. And then when the when the playoffs came, and you just saw everybody else raise their game that much more and even their focus that much more, then you just automatically raised yours too because you didn't want to be that guy to let to be you know the, to be that weak link pretty much. So I I just would practice hard. I was focused on everything. I made sure I knew my assignments. And once you started playing in the game, then the athletic ability takes over, and it's my love for the game came out. And just I love the I love the big stage. I've always been that way in everything I do. I love the big stage. The more people, the better. Uh, my first touchdown in Harmony College was at the Big House in Michigan, and I you know I was scared to death at first. The first time I got the ball, I ran up in there, and nobody really knocked me down. I pretty much went down on my own because it was so fast and everybody was moving so quickly and the guys were so big. But then the second time I got the ball, I ran for a touchdown. So it's like, and after that, I was just like, I love this. I love the big show. I love the big game. The bigger the game, the more I want to play. Is the buildup to the Super Bowl bigger than the game? I tell you what, you definitely know. From the time you get off of the plane, <laughs> it's different. <laughs> it's different. It's not just the climate because it's normally in a nice place. It wasn't this past year in New, in New York, but uh, most of the time it's in a nice place and everything. <laughs> but there's all the media right there. You see all the people that, that you've seen on TV. You see models, all kind of people there. So you know it's a big game, and it's all the buildup. But I swear, we were so prepared, and we were having so much fun with it. Uh, that's what I loved about Coach Seaford. He was like, He's serious about his, you know, his about his game and, and preparation and all that. But if you prepare right, you do all the things you're supposed to do, he will let you have fun. And he let us have fun. Uh, William Floyd, he said, that's your guy. You take him under your wing. You have him, he said, because I'm not dealing with another guy who has all that flamboyancy and everything because he was kind of like how I was when I first came out. And, uh, you know, before he had a real me in a little bit. And so I, I had him, and we just had so much fun doing doing that week. And the whole thing was the best thing about it was they let us have fun the first couple, three three days. Then after that, it was like okay, time to focus. No more worrying about tickets. No more no more worrying about what everyone else is doing and that your family's in town and all this old stuff. It's time to focus on the game. We totally understood why we were there. We were there to win a football game. At the end of the day, it didn't matter how much fun we had or what we did or how many times we got interviewed if we lose the game. The most important thing was to win that game. And we focused. We, we were so focused on that game that after a certain point, we didn't even notice all the all the, all the, all the things that happened around and all the buildup of the game. We were just focused on the game itself. How do you score three touchdowns in a Super Bowl and you're not going to Disney World your quarterback, Steve Young, is. <laughs> because he threw for six. <laughs> That's why. I mean, he, he did a great job. And uh, I, we were all proud of him. Because when I first got there, it was clearly Joe's team. Joe was the man. And Steve, it was like, there's no way he can live up to Joe. 
And even when uh, Joe went to another team, and they had, you know, I had nothing to do with that, or even the understanding of how they how they did that, if they traded them or what they did. But all we knew was now Steve Steve was the guy, and we had to roll with Steve. And there was mixed emotions about that. There were clearly mixed emotions about that. I wanted to even play with Steve uh, with Joe because I had never got a chance to play with him. But but now we're playing with Steve, and so he had a lot that he was carrying at every practice, every because if he made any mistakes, it was like, see, he's not Joe. He's not Joe. And there was no way he's going to be Joe. He wasn't Joe. But he became a great player. He became Steve Young, the great quarterback. And, and that year, he was unstoppable. And he was just, whether he was running, or even running the ball, some of the plays he made, uh, when he had to just leave the pocket and, and make a play with his feet and breaking tackles, it was it was amazing. He he had a great year, he, and it all culminated in that game. He was just on point, and he he deserved it. You know, you can't take anything away from him. He deserved it. Uh, but I think that I had a great game too, and I deserved something for it too. <laughs> so you know, I I'm, I was pretty. I'm just something I will always be proud of. Well, he could have taken you along. Yeah, yeah, that would be cool. <laughs> Definitely didn't so, want to end up at another team. <laughs> so it, was George Seifert the man that made that transition possible, or was it Walsh orchestrating that behind the scenes or as far as the quarterbacks uh, went? I think it was both of them. It was also Mike Shanahan who was the offensive co- coordinator at the time. And uh, they spent a lot of time with him. And he studied hard. He worked hard. He was one of the first people out there on the, on the football field. He was one of the last to leave. So he put in the work, and he put in the effort, and he wanted to to overtake that, that position. And, and, and he took on that responsibility of, I'm going to be the team leader. I'm going to show you guys that I can do this and, and, and win your allegiance so to speak, and and he did. And he actually did that, and people started saying, man, hey, he could be a great quarterback too. And and he turned into one, and it, obviously he's in the Hall of Fame now. So, <laughs> you know, he obviously did a great job for us, and I don't I don't know if we'd win that if he wasn't there. I mean, obviously if Joe was there, we already know what Joe can right. do, but without Joe or Steve, I don't know. Was it a tough decision to go to Philadelphia and leave San Francisco? See that when people say a decision, I didn't have a decision. Of course, I didn't want to leave the the champions and the guys who who drafted me, and I just won a Super Bowl with. But I I tried to get the deal done before the season was even over, even before that season started. But they didn't want to deal with it at that time, and I understood that. But wanted to get it done, and. And then when my agent told me that they were going to put a tag on me, I was thinking, oh, okay, they're going to make me franchise, which would still uh, lead me as a 49er. I wouldn't have any decisions or anything to make or, or to do because I would automatically get paid what the, the percentage of the top five, which I would have been very happy with at the time and, and stayed with the team that I loved and wanted to play for. But what happened was they made me the transition player. I didn't even understand what that was, but when my agent explained it to me and what that meant is that I have to shop myself to other teams, and then the 49ers will have the first right of refusal. So it was a way to, I guess, get my my market value up 
and the 49ers would, would match it, and then I would go back to the Niners, and the Niners would see that there are other teams that want me. So one of the teams that I went to, one of the first teams was, was Philadelphia, and Ray Rose was there. He was our defensive coordinator at the Niners, and he, when he went there as a head coach, I guess he wanted me to come there, obviously he thought I could help his team, which I did. But at the time, I just wanted to shop myself to these teams and just see what my market value actually is out there and prove it, uh, so to speak, to the 49ers. And when they when they uh, gave me a contract and I went back to the Niners, I talked to Coach Seaford and he said, you know, do you really want to be a 49er? And I was like, of course. And he was like, okay. He's like, don't worry. We're going to, you know, we'll match it and you'll stay a 49er. You know, you know, I love you as a player and all that kind of stuff. So I was like, okay, it's all good. But then when they didn't match, I couldn't believe it. They didn't match it. So that left me as the Philadelphia Eagles. So it wasn't a decision that I made. And I mean, uh, one of the good things is that it was a home for me. I'm from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. So, you know, I just looked at it as, well, maybe I can make them better and hopefully we could do something special too as a, as a team. But in no way at that time did I want to leave the 49ers. If that's out there and people think that, I don't, I don't like that, uh, being out there because that's, that just wasn't the case at all. Because, I mean, there was, there was the organization to play for. It was like a country club mentality because D. Bartola treated you guys like kings. Yeah, he definitely did. He still does. I mean, we have a really good rapport now. I go to all his functions and and all that, and and we just still have a good time. You can tell he he loved he actually loved and being he loved that role and relished that role of being the owner. But he also appreciated the players. And and I I learned that going to other places that not everywhere is like that, the way it was there, and how much he was a part of everything. And, and really made himself a part of the team. We felt like he was he was one of the guys. I mean, he was really, really cool, and that's why we still have a relationship to this day. I, w- I would think when all that went down and the 49ers say, see you later, that you would have hurt feelings. Was, is that an accurate description? Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely at the time I was hurt. <laughs> I mean, really I was hurt, and I couldn't believe it. But then I was like, okay, the only thing I can do is go on to the next team and play, play as great as I can and, and show what I can do. And I even thought then maybe I could end up back on the 49ers. Who knows? I had a three year deal in Philadelphia. And if, if some, for some reason I didn't stay there, maybe I could go back. So, I mean, that's how we looked at it. That's how my agent put it to me and all all we can do man we're young at the time looking back I mean shoot I there probably is some different thing I could have done but at the time that was what I was given that's what I understood that's what made sense to me that's what I thought I had to do and at no time did I think that I wouldn't be a 49er the following season well that's part one of our interview with Ricky Waters after this brief break we will be back with part two you like how that goes? One, two. Five. You can count. B- barely. Anyway, you're listening to Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. Mm-hmm. 